Okay, uh, watch the screen. Let's continue to hear from our children this morning. That's pretty good forgiveness, don't you think? Yes. Wow, children are so much better than we are at forgiveness. You know, I watch my grandchildren, you know, and there are, you know, there's so many of them now, and they're all different ages, all different temperaments. You know, some of them have immediate meltdowns and emotion when something bad happens. One of them, I won't mention his name, is like a wrecking ball who's going through and knocking everybody down all the time. And yet, you can see that meltdown and that emotion and even the anger, and yet they hug each other, forgive each other, and they're on like nothing happened. And children are so good at it. Why are they so much better than us? If you're taking notes, write this down. Children forgive easier because their memories fade quicker. Children forgive easier because their memories fade quicker. Adults have longer memories. I mean, a child could almost immediately forgive some for stealing their cornbread. It's amazing. But as adults, we hold on to those things so long. We stew over it. So there's the big difference. And that's why Jesus said, if you're going to come into my kingdom, you must come as a little child. And I think this is one of the meanings. A couple words we're using and associated with forgiveness that are really important is, that first of all, the word bitterness. And that means settled hostility. Bitterness is more than just getting angry. It's settling on the anger. 
And then I love this definition. The Latin word resentment means to refill. Every time you run into that person who did you wrong, you have that gut level feeling. You refill like the band-aid's been ripped off one more time. And so that's what happens to us as adults. We grow older, we begin to settle into hostility, and we begin to fill old feelings all over again. I think, especially right now, of one of my children. I mean, Luke was one of my sweetest children and just immediately very forgiving. And yet, this Friday, I sold our old car. Let me show you a picture of my, 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 my baby, okay? 64 Corvair, sold it after 10 years. And then here is the Facebook post yesterday from my son, Luke. On Friday, May the 17th, I said goodbye to an old friend. Some of my first childhood memories are riding in a car seat in the front of my father's Corvair. It was legal at the time, okay? And being mesmerized by the, by the air-cooled mid-century wonder <laughs> that was transporting me from place to place. I love that exaggeration. That's incredible. By the time I came of age, we had a late model four-speed that taught me how to drive a stick, as well as the primitive nature of driving something with drum brakes and no power steering. Corvairs taught me how to change oil, alternators, spark plug starters, and other mundane car maintenance items. By the time I was a junior in high school, we traded our 65 rust bucket, that's true, for the pristine example you see up here on the screen. Unlike other kids growing up with an antique car in our household, I had full access to these cars and could drive them at will. That's my bad, okay? On several occasions when my personal cars would break down, our Corvair weekend warrior was transformed into my reliable daily driver and companion for months of time. Yesterday, in a sweeping decision that would make the Bay of Pigs appear well thought out <laughs> and timely by comparison, Buddy Bell, not just Dad, not just Buddy, Buddy Bell, decided to part ways with this timeless beauty out of a need to simplify. The picture of me driving was the last time I spent with that car. Corvair, <laughs> you will not be forgotten. And dad, you will never be forgiven. <laughs> so this sermon is for my son, Luke, okay? We got to work on this. Because sometimes those old feelings just keep coming back. And we're looking at a passage today that's just full of emotions and feelings. Yeah, I think it can give us some key insights on how to deal with the issue we're talking about. If you have your Bible or phone, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for all one, members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands so they may have something to share with those in needs. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you've been sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Bitterness, rage, and anger, that's the internal feelings. 
And now the external behavior. Brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's a great passage with all of these emotions that we feel today. There are two key insights I want you to see from that passage. First of all, Christians should be more forgiving because we have been forgiven more. You got that? We're more forgiving because we've been forgiving. How much have we been forgiven for? Everything. I've been forgiven by God for everything. So out of that heart of forgiveness, I'm much better equipped than someone who doesn't know Jesus to forgive. I was talking to a brother in our church this week over lunch. And um, years ago, he went through a terrible divorce. He found out, first of all, that his wife had been cheating on him for two years. And, And yet he was still wanting to work on his marriage. He didn't know how to do it. He was so full of anger. So he drove five hours from here to the person he respected most in the world. He sat down with his longtime professor and said, my wife's been cheating on me for two years. How in the world can I forgive her? And the wise man had one sentence. Because you have been forgiven. And he forgave her and tried to move on. Guys, forgiveness is rooted in God's forgiveness of us. We can forgive the unforgivable because God has done that for us. So as you look at the person who's offended you, remember that they're a fallen sinner just like who? Just like you. Another insight. This one really hit me this week. There are no bad emotions, just emotions that have gone bad. You catch that? No bad emotions, just emotions that have gone bad. My friends, listen to me. Your your feelings are not good or bad, not sinful or righteous. They're just your feelings. What happens is, what do you deal with them? Now, in this passage, we got a great example. He says, be angry and sin not. King James got that one right. There's a command in this passage for you to be angry. It's not wrong to be angry. In fact, at times it would be wrong to not be angry. If you witness social injustice, if you wish to witness people in your family being abused, you would be wrong not to be angry. If your wife cheated on you for two years or your husband, you would be wrong not to be angry. But here's what Paul says. Be angry, but sin not. You see, the problem is not in the initial emotion. The problem is that emotion becomes settled. You begin to refill the hurt over and over again. My friends, we live in a a fallen world, and when things settle, they normally corrupt. You leave something in the refrigerator over months. You do nothing with it, it can corrupt. You've had knee replacement surgery. They're going to tell you the worst thing you can do is can stove up if it just sits there. You've got to move. And when it comes to our emotions, when they mess us up is when we just sit constantly in them. So those are great insights. So here's what I want you to pick up. Paul obviously believes 
that we have a choice. He wouldn't have written these words with all of these commands to get rid of bitterness and get rid of unforgiveness and stop brawling unless he actually believed that we could do it. Now, here's the problem, though. This is why, like we said last week, forgiveness is so difficult. You only have to forgive people who hurt you, right? And that's what makes it so hard. If someone can't hurt you, it doesn't matter. Years ago, when we as a church were doing a lot of new things, and we were undergoing a a lot of criticism, and a lot of it was directed toward me. Someone said, how do you handle all that criticism? It doesn't seem to bother you. And here was my answer. I don't really care this editor in Corinth, Mississippi that wants to write me up or the guy across town who wants to write me up because I don't know them. What would hurt me is if it happened in Landmark. I can handle this as long as the shepherds of this church are behind me because you got to have a relationship with somebody for them to hurt you. And so that's the problem. The person that's popping to your mind today that you've got to forgive is somebody that was close enough to hurt you. And that's what makes it so difficult. And so today, as we close this series, and I hope, I hope you're going to listen closely to what I'm about to say, because I don't want you to walk away from here without taking some steps of forgiveness, because it will destroy you, okay? So I'm going to give you seven steps for you to, to take to begin the process of forgiveness. Number one, don't deny your feelings. If you feel bitter, angry, don't deny them. Because when you deny them, you give them power. You give them internal power over you. So so don't act like it's not there. It's there. And and number two, we go along with that. Don't blow up or clam up. You see, the world's going to say to you, okay, somebody hurts you. You need to go, buddy, and you need to vent to them. You just let it all out. Tell them exactly what you feel, exactly what you think about them. My friends, all that does is leave damage everywhere. Now, the Christian answer is, oh, I'm so spiritual, it didn't really hurt me. I'm just going to stuff it down like it didn't happen. I'm just going to clam up. That doesn't work either because eventually it explodes. Number three. If possible, settle it quickly. That's what Paul says. If you're angry, the best thing to do is don't let the sun go down on that. Because if you do, you see, again, the bad emotions are settled emotions. That's why Paul says, if you keep that angry, that anger within you and keep on thinking about it, you are going to give the devil a foothold. I'm convinced after preaching this the last few weeks that unforgiveness is one of the Satan's most powerful tools. He gets a foothold in your heart. Nobody else may know about it, and you know about it. So what you do is you must settle it quickly. Now, all of us that are married know that's a great rule of marriage. And today is actually, Stephanie and my 35th wedding anniversary, all right? All the applause go to her, okay? We got married when we were 13 and 12, and it was just, uh, (laughs) it was an awesome deal. But one rule we have always had is we never leave each other to go out of town without settling a dispute. If she were going to visit a friend or I was going off on some speaking engagement, could not leave because that's too dangerous. 
And in your marriage, Paul gives the best advice. Don't go to bed seething on it. Learn to talk about it. And God's going to bless that. Number four, if you can't get rid of it quickly, confess your feelings to someone. You know, maybe you can't go to the person. Maybe it's impossible right now. Maybe, But you need to find someone. You don't even have to give them the name of who you're mad at. There's an old saying that, that I found so true in my life. You either talk it out or you act it out, okay? Because if you keep stuffing your feelings, oh, I'm not really hurt, I can get over that, I mean, I'm so spiritual, I can put that behind me, you know what's going to happen? One day it's going to explode. Because the longer you stuff it, the more energy there is. And when it explodes, no telling what's going to happen to you. And see, the way to de-energize something, first of all, how do you know there's still hurt and energy behind it? It's when you feel emotions. I was sharing in a class just a few Wednesday nights ago about experience in my life I thought was, quite frankly, way behind me. And I started sharing about it, and I just got so wrought with emotion. It just sort, of, just sort of shocked me. What that says there is there's still an issue there that I've got to deal with. Now, how do you get rid of that kind of energy? You talk about it. When you talk about the issue, it takes the energy away. Number five, this is Jesus' advice. Matthew 5, pray for your offender. Jesus actually says you pray for your enemies. Now, guys, that's something you don't feel like doing. Because here's, here's the problem in our cultures. We think, I can't do anything unless I feel like it. Your life's going to be a disaster if it's based on feelings. You can pray for your enemy out of obedience. Say, God, I don't feel like this. I don't want to say this, but you command me to do it, and I'm going to bring this person before you. I pray that you'll give me the power to forgive them. You see, because you can't pray for someone consistently without it changing your heart for them. You have to force that to come out. And then number six, this is our whole point. You must come to some point where you choose to forgive. Guys, please remember this, as hurtful and painful as this is, you've got a choice of what you do with it. You don't have a choice of their behavior. You don't even have a choice of how they respond if you forgive them. But you have a choice for you. I think one of the most riveting moments two weeks ago when the people from Charleston were, were with us is when Polly Shepard was asked about forgiveness and how in the world could you forgive, she quickly said a powerful line, I forgave Dylan Roof for me. And so you've got to come to a point where you know it's eating you up. And you've got to have that kind of forgiveness. So you obey God. And then finally you get to this point that you release your offender. What does that mean? You give up your right to get even. You see, you, you know there's something there with that person if you hear bad news about them and secretly you gloat. You've got to be able to go, you know what? I, I'm releasing them. And, and, and in fact, here's where I want to get, if possible, with this person. I want to get to the point where I can wish them well. I hope their life goes well. Now, please note this distinction. Forgiveness does not mean trust. If, if, if your spouse broke your trust and destroyed your marriage, 
If your friend betrayed you, that doesn't mean you forgive them and everything's hunky-dory and you never act like it. I, I hear I hear couples all the time, they've gone through something rough, and, and so, you know, you, you ask, you know, your spouse for forgiveness, and, and they, because they're good people, grant it, and then the hurt comes back, and a year later, they or six months or two weeks, they ask you about it, and you, you respond defensively, you told me you'd already forgiven me, you can't bring it up. No. One of the good practices, again, in, in Stephanie and our relationship has been the couple times we have betrayed each other's trust we gave the other permission to ask questions as long as they needed to and some of that lasted years so maybe you can ask me about this anytime you want to I can ask you about this anytime and what happened is slowly but surely we didn't need to ask those questions anymore but we had to have that permission. So don't use forgiveness as an excuse to say, you can't bring it up because you've got, if you decide to stay in that marriage, you decide to stay in that friendship, you've got the hard work of re-earning trust. And that's so important. So this is what I want to say to you this morning. Guys, we've got two roads on this. We're all going to be hurt. Nobody in here, and this is one of those sermons that everybody needs to hear. Because either you've been hurt, you are hurt, or you will be hurt. And there are two roads. And I see them distinctively in two of the great kings of Israel. One was King Saul. He was a powerful, godly man at the beginning of his reign. The first king. And then there was David. But there began to be a tension between Saul and David... Because when David slew Goliath, he became extremely popular. And where Saul had once had all the glory and all the spotlight on him, there were now top 40 songs about David and how powerful he is. And instead of Saul taking him under wings as a mentor, Saul got jealous. And so Saul became bitter. And, and he began to try to kill David two or three times. He's got David pinned against a wall, and he misses. He's so jealous, so angry, so bitter. He's so settled in his anger. And yet, here's the crazy thing about this story, is that David forgives. He has forgiveness. Now, please understand this. This is not to say Saul was a great man and David was a perfect man. David, if you want to read something about someone with some awful behavior, he commits adultery himself and actually murders somebody. So don't let David off too easy here. But what David learned to do was practice forgiveness because twice he caught Saul in his camp asleep and could have murdered him and didn't. One time in a cave, one time in his sleep. And passes up on the opportunity. And actually begged Saul for there to be reconciliation. So what happened? Where did the road lead to? Saul's road of bitterness led to torture. He was a tortured man. This man is so stuck in his unforgiveness that he goes crazy. It'll do that to you. David, who did an awful lot of bad things, ends up being honored. And we end up today almost passing over David's sins and saying, the only thing we remember is that David was a man after God's own heart. I've been trying to figure that my whole life. Why, why, what made David's heart so special? 
And here's what I'm convinced of. He had a childlike spirit. He had a short memory. And he was able to forgive. Now you see that still today. When I was a a teenager, growing up in church, our teen group, every Thursday night, would go to Ingleside Nursing Home. And we would visit the old people there. It was a great experience for us. And, but this, this is what would always hit me when I went. You would walk in one room, and you're there to cheer this older person up. Um, they're living in this place that doesn't smell well. Many of them, their children aren't visiting much. they got to live with a roommate here. They might be screaming half the night, and yet you walk in their room, and instead of them blessing you blessing them, they bless you. And you go, wow, this, this person is incredible. Love. And then you might go to the room next door, And that person, you walk and say, hey, I'm Buddy from the Capitol Heights Church of Christ, came to just see how you're doing. And they might scream at you and yell at you and tell you to get out of their room. Now, what was the difference? You you think this person had an easy life, this person had a rough life? You think this person had had any problems? You think this person had never had someone do them wrong? No. The difference was which road did they walk down? And my friends, the difference in you And when you grow old, and the kind of character and kind of person you're going to be, is going to be, which road do you pick? And here's the good news and yet challenging news of this message series. It is a choice. You don't have to do it. God's not going to make you. Nobody can make you. You see, even for Jesus, Scripture says it was a choice. I, we, Jesus, in, in the line that really is foundational to everything we've talked about in the last few weeks, on the cross, with his executioners right there, says, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. He's saying the same thing to you and I. It's messed up as we've been, as much as we've heard him. What he's saying is, Father, they're just confused people. Forgive them. We used to sing a song that gave the alternative choice. Fill in the blanks. He could have called what? 10,000 angels. To do what? Destroy the world and set him free. He had every right to do it, but he didn't. And it's out of that forgiveness that we begin to forgive other people. That because God made that choice about us, we can make it that choice about our offender. You see what, what really sort of hit me? We talk about children are better forgiving because... They have shorter memories, and when we get older, we start holding on to things. Think about how old God is. I mean, he's eternal. If anybody had time to build something up toward a lot of people, it's God. And yet God is even better than children. Not only can God forgive quickly, God can literally forget. When you go to pray for the tenth time for that forgiveness, God's shaking his head saying, buddy, I don't know what you're talking about. And so, my friends, it's out of that that we can forgive. And so the best step you can take, the best step you can take is to accept his forgiveness. That's where it's all going to start. Let me answer one common objection. I don't have to forgive this person because they never asked me to forgive them. In fact, God doesn't forgive people who don't ask for it. I think that's a bad misreading the text. 
Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do before someone ever asks. Forgiveness is out there for everybody in this world. The question is, do you accept it? Years ago, there was a man on death row in the 1800s. He committed murder. One of his friends was able to get to the president, and the president pardoned him. And so they got the word to the jail. He's on death row, and they say, you're pardoned. And he says, I do not accept the pardon. How crazy. Nobody knew what to do. So there was a court case that made it all the way to the Supreme Court. What do you do with a man who won't accept the pardon? And the Supreme Court ruled, a pardon rejected is no pardon at all. And so, my friends, that man was executed. And if you don't accept the forgiveness of God and allow it to flow through you to the people in your life who hurt you, you're going to die an eternal, internal death. And according to Scripture, it's not going to be good eternally either. And so you've got to be that person who says, you know what? I need this from God first. Maybe the problem of you not being able to forgive anybody else is because, first of all, you've not forgiven yourself. And you've not accepted the forgiveness of God. And so this morning, I invite you, if you're struggling with this, I invite you to meet me on this front row. And today's the day that you're ready to be baptized into Christ and claim that promise that all of your sins are washed away. Wow. Do it. And walk out of here a forgiven man or woman who's equipped to forgive other people. Accept it. Because if you deny it, it's not because he didn't offer it. If today you're so stuck in your bitterness and hatred and you've tried on your own to deal with it and you think the united prayers of this wonderful church could make a difference, then please let us know and we will pray for that. If you need to come and respond to the reckless love of God, why don't you come right now? while we stand and sing.